Welcome to Digital Aspirations from Aspire Technology Partners, a podcast series where we discuss technology insights driving today's business transformation. This podcast is sponsored by Cisco. Aspire Technology Partners is a leading systems integrator and Cisco Gold certified partner. Please welcome your host, Doug Stevens, Vice President of Managed Services at Aspire. So today, we're going to talk about the current state of cybersecurity landscape and what organizations can do to protect themselves. And I'm excited to be joined by two guests today uh, who will share their insights and experience in the security space and, and hopefully provide actionable advice that our listeners can take away to advance your organization's overall security maturity. So our first guest today is John Rossiter. John's a principal consulting engineer and the chief information security officer for Aspire. And John also leads the team that develops and manages the technology stack and the platforms that support our security operations center. So John, welcome. Thank you, Doug. It's great to be here. Yeah, and our second guest is Michael O'Connell, and some of you might recognize that name. Michael's becoming a regular on this podcast series. Uh, If you're not familiar with Michael, he's a solutions architect within our cybersecurity practice area. He brings a ton of experience. Mike has over 15 plus years of experience designing and implementing security solutions. So, Mike, welcome again. Thank you. I'm glad to be back. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So what I thought I'd do to kick things off is to uh, share what I thought was some interesting research that I read uh, recently, and it it comes from a survey from PwC. And essentially, it talked about 64% of CISOs and CIOs expect a jump in reportable ransomware and software supply chain incidents in the second half of 2021. Now, that in and of itself isn't very surprising, right? We've seen those numbers jump pretty dramatically and continue to. But it was interesting that the reasoning behind that was this notion that as organizations rushed to adapt to the pandemic-driven challenges and work and business models, in many cases, security got left behind. And over half of those surveyed felt that they hadn't adequate, adequately addressed the risks associated with remote workers, digitization, and cloud adoption. So, I mean, when we talk about work from home, that literally happened overnight, right? COVID hit, everybody worked from home, and and securing that remote workforce is is still in catch-up mode. I mean, at that point, that back in March a year ago, 70% of organizations were still relying on password-centric authentication, right? So that was a major factor. Another factor is a a lot of that work-from-home motion uh, pushed the network edge to, to include really common home devices. You know, we have people connecting to the, to the office, uh, you know, with a home device, not hardened, right? There's, there's nowhere near the same degree of security that uh, you'd see on a corporate device. Um, and then we also know that, um, you know, the vast majority of data breaches today involve some sort of human element, right? Somebody's unwittingly clicking on something or there's some sort of social engineering or engineering or, or phishing associated with, with, these, uh, with these breaches. So that all contributed to a vastly different threat landscape. Um, in terms of uh, digitalization and, and business transformation, you know, the, the speed at which these companies leverage DevOps and, and AI and ML and some other technologies to transform their business models, um, you know, really, con- uh, you know, created some additional security challenges there. And, and the question becomes, you know, how do organizations strike the right balance between speed to market and agility versus, you know, privacy and security? And um, cloud security uh, was another concern. 
we saw a significant increase in the pace of cloud adoption. And, and over half of the companies surveyed um, said that they weren't actually getting the full value of the cloud. And the reason being is, you know, they failed to take into account the unique security challenges that the cloud adoption poses, or at least they, they didn't address them early enough in that process. So it, to me, it was interesting to understand the effect that, that this global pandemic had on businesses and, and, and the challenges that it presented to, you know, both IT and business leaders, who in many cases are, are still dealing with this today, 18 months later. So uh, again, I thought that was interesting backdrop. I'm certainly interested in, in uh, you know, your thoughts as well. Michael, I'll throw it to you first. H- how would you describe the current cybersecurity and threat landscape today? So the biggest difference is to talk about the different verticals between um, cybersecurity and threat landscapes. So one example would be healthcare. So in healthcare, one of the biggest issues you're currently looking at is, is ransomware, and that can affect in three ways, right? So a phishing email schema, um, a user clicking a malicious link, or any kind of advertising or malvertising, um, they call it. One of the biggest things in the healthcare industry, critical processes are slowed down or become completely interop- inoperable, and hospitals are forced to go back to utilizing pen and paper, slowing every individual process in that medical facility and ultimately soaking up funds that may have otherwise been allocated for automation in today's dynamic workplace. That same thing can be said for any um, industry, whether that's educational, financial, manufacturing. Automated processes are eliminated with the current cybersecurity threat landscape that we see in the news and on a daily basis. Yeah, exactly. It's a huge challenge for for not only healthcare but but across multiple verticals today. Um, John, I, I mentioned remote workers and, and digitization and, and cloud adoption in the opening. There, um, what are the other security challenges that organizations are facing today? That's a great question, Doug. Um, you've got yeah, oh, quite a bit, um, quite a few of those challenges that you're going to see. Uh, number one being legacy infrastructure, right? Uh, being able to uh, upgrade uh, potential infrastructure to meet the demands of of work from home uh, have been exceedingly difficult for most organizations, right? So obviously budgets are strained. COVID has af- uh, adversely affected most of the companies that we've worked with, right? Uh, they have haven't been used to, or they're just, you know, got immediately thrust upon them, uh, the work from home uh, motto, right? So from there, uh, very difficult uh, without the proper tools, uh, being able to, all of a sudden, IT now has to, uh, you know, take care of uh, of all these devices that uh, they may or may not have direct control or access over. So I, I want to open this next question up to both of you, and 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 knowing what you do on a daily basis and the the number of clients that you speak to on a regular basis, given some of those challenges that you mentioned, John, and and the and the the threat landscape, um, what, what are the trends that you're seeing? What what kinds of security initiatives are organizations undertaking to protect themselves? So one thing that I see uh, on a daily basis is. The need to adopt a multi-platform approach or cloud-based product for managing anyone, no matter where they're at. So whether they're home, whether they're traveling, whether they're in the office, the need has been proven, especially as John mentioned, with COVID, with the legacy landscapes, to adopt and move to a cloud-based single-platform solution where you can manage your users and organizational devices, no matter where they're at. You need the enforcement to be able to put an additional layer of security 
and gone are the days where someone's only in your office. So no matter where someone's at, we need the ability to protect the corporate assets. Cloud's huge. Yeah, I agree. I mean, managing uh, complexity, taking complexity out of the implementation process, being able to manage, you know, remote sites and users with common policy, all those things have have been a huge benefit, uh, you know, derived from the cloud. Um, John, any thoughts there on, on trends that you're seeing? Yeah, we're also seeing uh, the concept of zero trust uh, making. Uh, it's actually been around for quite some time, but we're, we're starting to see organizations take it a lot more seriously. And, and essentially what that is, is just really giving the minimal amount of access that is necessary to, to do or perform one's job, right? So uh, sounds simple uh, to, you know, in practice, what uh, sounds simple in concept, I should say, and but uh uh, it's quite a difficult thing sometimes to achieve within an organization throughout uh, legacy infrastructure as well. So uh, it's definitely one of those things that uh, a lot of our customers are, are looking to do and, and embark upon. Yeah, and I think that that framework itself, um, you know, if you drill into it a little bit, but um, it, it would seem to address many of those challenges that we mentioned earlier. So securing remote workers and, and hybrid cloud environments and, and uh, you know, protecting you know, against ransomware threats. Um, Michael, if, if folks out there aren't familiar with Zero Trust, can, can you explain to, to our listeners what Zero Trust is? And, um, and I'd be interested from both of you as well. Is, I mean, is it viable? Is it even realistic for, say, a mid-sized organization to, to be able to adopt? Sure. So the principles behind zero trust is that you assume that attackers are both within and outside of your corporate network. So no users, machines should be automatically trusted. So in legacy infrastructures, if someone had a a machine or, for example, a desktop in your organization, automatically that was trusted. With the zero trust model, you're assuming that whether that's internally or externally, it's malicious or non-trusted until proven otherwise. There's a couple um, in-depth ways you can go about that. So from an adoption or a viable or realistic approach for the organizations, yes, uh, it's a feasible way and, and you can automate visibility and trust verification in your organizations. I'll let John go into a little more details with that. But yes, I do believe that it's a viable and realistic approach. I think there's a multi-step process to get there. Um, one of it being devices, um, user authentication, for example, um, two-factor. But I'll, I'll let John go in a little more detail. But to answer your question, the bottom line is it's the philosophy that nothing's trusted until proven otherwise. So it's it's the opposite of our legal system here in the United States. It's that all users are are guilty until proven innocent. Is that Correct. Your thing? <laughs> Correct. <laughs> okay. All right, John. What are your thoughts on on zero trust and its uh, and its feasibility in in mid-sized organizations? Yeah, definitely. We'll get uh, a lot of uh, pushback when we first introduce some of these ideas to to customers. But really, uh, in principle, uh, you don't have to boil the ocean, right? So you can start small and then progressively uh, add to your zero infrastructure, zero trust infrastructure, right? So you can do start with your applications. Certainly, uh, a lot of customers will will go ahead and start with their SaaS based applications. Uh, go ahead and implement. Uh, zero trust uh, principles there along with some of the products that such as two factor, right? Start low. uh, And then, you know, as the, uh, as the entire user community gets more comfortable with the idea, then you go ahead and introduce those 
uh, in the internal and legacy networks as well. Okay. And, and what are some of those technologies? I mean, we don't want to get into products here. We're, we're product agnostic here, but what, what are some of those uh, technologies? You mentioned multi-factor. Sure. Multi-factor as, as can, yeah. I mean, there, there are a lot of uh, different products out there uh, you know, from a lot of different vendors. Uh, we do utilize Cisco Duo quite often uh, for that. We also uh, utilize Okta um, for that, that infrastructure as well. Uh, and then, you know, once you go ahead and you look at, um, you know, providing zero trust or doing zero trust on your infrastructure, uh, Cisco ICE is probably our primary uh, product that we would use to, to achieve that. Mike, any thoughts there on, on, on advice? Yeah, absolutely. So just as, as John just mentioned, so when you're looking at you know, your network and your endpoints and, and the trust viability inside the interconnectivity ICE, for example, but but any network access control solution, right? So you want to make sure that you have the device and the user and the data is all verified and controllable through through automate automated visibility and trust verification. So it's 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 a journey. It sounds like uh, trust. It's not something that you're just going to snap on overnight. Um, it's something that can be planned and implemented over a period of time, and 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 it sounds like it's achievable. Absolutely, a little bit at a time, right? So. Yeah, exactly, exactly what John said, right? Little bit, step by step. Okay, perfect. All right, well, then that sort of leads me into my, my next question, and that is, you know, as companies are implementing some of these security controls, you know, relating to zero trust or just security in general, um, I, and John, I'll, I'll direct this towards you. I, I You know, we know that it's, it's, it's extremely important to recognize that having tools in place is really only part of that equation. Can, can you talk to your experiences and the importance of being able to monitor security events in some meaningful and consistent way? Sure. Yeah. I mean, we get this uh, quite a bit when we talk to our customers who, who have actually invested in the tools, right? And so when I mean, what I mean by tools are endpoint protection, uh, potentially DNS, uh, network traffic analytics, next generation firewall, IPS, right? So they have uh, a number of these different tools in every point of their network and in the cloud. Um, but one of the big biggest pieces of the puzzle that they're missing uh, in a lot of cases is that know-how um, to look at, you know, the events that are coming from these devices, right? So, or these uh, solutions. So there's a, there's a comfort level, I guess, uh, when you go ahead and, and purchase these, uh, these tools and, and maybe in a lot, it may be misplaced, right? So the tools will definitely tell you um, what's actually happening, but a lot of times they're not 100%, right? And so you need to have multiple tools in order to pick up for where one may be a little bit, may have missed something, right? But either way, having somebody who is qualified to actually look at the events and understands those events that are in there, not to mention the folks to actually tune those tools and take care of them, uh, a really important aspect of making those tools successful, right? So um, we've had uh, a lot of customers sign on to our service after they've had security events, even though they've had the tools, right? So, and and again, the missing component is, you know, having somebody uh, eyes on glass 24-7, uh, with specific know-how with these tools, right? So it, we especially see this in the mid-market, right? So we have, you know, we have a lot of folks wearing multiple hats, uh, and certainly, you know, they're not available in twenty-four by seven fashion. Nor do they want to be, 
right? So yeah, I mean, that 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 would be the the tagline here, Doug. Is is that you know the tools are really important, but just as important are the folks looking at those tools. For sure. Yeah, and and having the skill set to be able to understand and and, and react uh, to to those alerts in, in 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 some sort of real time way, and and the reality is is mid sized companies they it, it's hard to find those people. Um, it's there's a fairly large uh, investment to um, you know to build the platforms and buy the sim and 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 have the multiple shifts and and whatnot. So. The, the best option there for, for many of those uh, size organizations is to engage an MSSP partner um, and, and outsource that and find a good one that uh, can really be an extension to your IT team. So um, we're, we're just about out of time. Uh, but before we break, I did want to give John and Michael uh, an opportunity. Any closing uh, thoughts or any advice that uh, you can share with our listeners to, to help them um, as they go down that journey to protecting their businesses? I think one of the things to look at is, as you mentioned, John and Doug, it's very important um, and focused on if you're looking in and adopting a zero trust, it's, it is feasible, it's viable, but you need to manage and work with someone that knows the tools like John mentioned. I think that's extremely important and it, you do it in a phased approach. That's the only thoughts or advice to just wrap this up from my side. Great. John, any closing thoughts? Sure. Yeah. I mean, we've we've talked a little bit about tools, uh, about uh, some of the things that we're seeing uh, in the threat landscape, um, but there's really no um, there's no two ways of going about um, you know a, a actually putting together a solid security program for your organization, right? To ensure that number one that you have uh, the proper policies in place. Uh, along with those tools uh, that are protecting the environment and the, the correct uh, personnel to monitor those that environment, right? So it's really important. Uh, and, and to Doug, your point earlier, right? So most of the attacks that are occurring are, are, are really targeted towards the user. So along with a good security program, you know, the policy and the tools, you really need to make sure that your users are uh, in the know. Right. So we also, uh, as an organization, we really highly uh, recommend that part of any good security program is going to really be uh, inclusive of your users and making sure that you've got, uh, you know, regular training uh, for those folks. They are your key uh, to success there or your failure. <laughs> in yeah, many ways, it's a, yeah, it could be yeah. your, your your last line of defense is is your user population, and, and it's a it's a great point. Security awareness training um, should never be overlooked. It's extremely important. So that's all the time we have today. Thank you both for sharing your knowledge and expertise. I really appreciate you both being with us today. Uh, to, to our listeners, if you like the discussion today and you'd like to hear more podcasts, go to our website, aspiretransforms.com. And as always, thank you for listening. And we'll see you next time on Digital Aspirations for Business. I'm your host, Doug Stevens. Bye for now. Digital Aspirations is brought to you by Aspire Technology Partners, a premier technology solutions and services provider designing, implementing, delivering, and managing digital infrastructure and IoT solutions to enable transformational business outcomes, creating more agile and efficient IT environments that deliver differentiated customer experiences for your organization. To learn more about Aspire Technology Partners, visit AspireTransforms.com or email us at podcast at AspireTransforms.com.